DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined now by Blake Anderson. He's the new head football coach at Utah State. Coach, good morning. Good morning. You have, uh, you have come in at a curious time in the history of Utah State, and there are Aggie fans right now. There's much crying and gnashing of teeth that uh, this uh, investigation with the president is going to make it really hard on this new coach, and we're down. And they, They've got scars from the way the 70s, 80s, and 90s went, and you can probably look it up in a media guide for yourself. Those were bad decades. But they've emerged from that, and you were talking to two guys who have the opinion that the program's in a much different place and that whatever this investigation turns up, football players don't interact with university presidents very much. What their coaches are like is more important. Can you get that message across and uh, let Aggie fans know there's hope? Yeah, I would, I would tell you, obviously, you know, I think people will do a great job on that and be thorough. And I've had limited, limited uh, opportunities to get to know, uh, the president, but you know what? What little bit I've been around her, I was you know really encouraged with her. Uh, just her, I don't know, the way she cares about the the, the students, and so uh, that you know that's going to be its own deal. You know, I, I do agree with you. What happens in our building and and the culture that we create inside the locker room and the weight room and out on the field tends to be you know ninety nine percent of what our players are gonna are gonna you know experience every day. They just don't don't run into administrators a whole lot, really don't have a lot of uh, lot of interaction with them, typically at a university this size. And so I've been really encouraged, even in the midst of all that, and obviously we're trying to listen and see where we can, you know, affect change in, in a, in a it really immediately if we possibly can and, and make sure that, that whatever issues they had don't get repeated. Um, you know, I, I've been really encouraged with just the response from the guys. I mean, they've been really close. This wasn't your problem. We're excited you're here. We're ready to move forward. Uh, we want, you know, we want people to listen, so we don't we don't have the same issues again, and that we can move past it. But I think they've been extremely positive about the possibility of doing that, and I think they've been very pleased with the approach we've taken in terms of how I'm putting together the staff as well. And diversity and inclusion and equality really is a big, big factor in that, and, and I think they see the efforts there, which will help. So I want you to remember, Coach, our show is named DJ and PK, and I'm PK. Here it comes. Here it comes. You need to remember this. There's only one guy in the entire state of Utah from the media perspective who's not only been to Jonesboro once, has been to Jonesboro many, many times, and that's me. You're not going to believe this, Coach, but my wife's grandmother lived, she's deceased now, but lived in Jonesboro. So I have made that 70-mile drive from the Memphis airport to Jonesboro many, many times. So we're, we're practically brothers, Coach. Yeah, absolutely. That scenic, that beautiful scenic trip <laughs> from Memphis airport to Jonesboro, Arkansas. You've, uh, you've done that a few times. <laughs> yes, I have. I've actually been to the campus. I've been to basketball games. I've been to baseball games for no other reason that I was bored stiff when I was in Jonesboro. So I would go over to ASU, and it always would make me laugh. We did. I think it was was it the Jonesboro Sun was the newspaper. I can't remember. Probably, but, so, uh, yeah. I would read the newspaper, and the headlines would say ASU. 
I'm a graduate of Arizona State, and I kept thinking, wait a second, that's not ASU. But nevertheless, it became my second ASU. So sort of, I don't know if it's ironic or what have you, but because I had that very loose connection, I've actually followed the program in Jonesboro. So I'm familiar with what you've done, and I'm I'm familiar with the community because I was there 20 times. Uh, The last time I was there was when she died. I served as a pallbearer, so I know a little bit about it. I know how how pretty much how tough it is to build a program there and i look at logan and i see wow compared i would i'm probably biased but i think logan has more advantages when you looked at the utah state job is that the way you viewed it now we know we had the situation with your wife and and no deep condolences there and you were talking about how uh, i read some stuff you know just Maybe you needed to change because things were there that reminded you of her or whatever, and obviously it's a personal decision. But what allowed you to think that, okay, Logan is where I need to be? Well, there's a lot of reasons, to be honest with you. And, and I did feel like a fresh start was, was definitely it was time. My kids felt the same way. The people there have been amazing, by the way. Getting us through the last three years has been uh, has been tough. But, but just, you, you know, I mean, the community is unreal. Just great, great. Uh, down to heart, down to earth, people, and so they they did an amazing job, just kind of lifting us up. But I, I just felt like it was time for a fresh start. But I would have never left for a job that I didn't think had all all the things you needed to be successful. I mean, you you, you can't just go take a bad job just because you're frustrated with with a city, you know, and and the the images that you see on a daily basis. I thought this was a great job. Now Matt Wells is one of my closest friends and, and colleagues, and and. In the profession, we've known each other for 15, 20 years now. He loved it here. I know he played here, but he loved it here. It was obviously successful. Loved working for John, which was huge. I wanted to work for the right guy. But I just I felt like you know my time in the Mountain West at New Mexico, I felt like I had a good feel for the league. I know it's changed a little, but a good feel for the league. Uh, you look at the dynamic of the state of Utah, there's around 25 to 30 Division One players a year in the state. You can probably cut that number by, you know, I don't know, three three quarters of that just doesn't happen in the state of Arkansas. We got two to three players a year in the state of Arkansas. I had to go in everybody else's backyard. So the ability to start at home and build your roster at home, and even knowing you got to get into California and, and down into Vegas and Arizona and, and into Idaho, we'll get into Texas as well. I just felt like college football starts with recruiting and recruiting base. Uh, and if you don't have a recruiting base, you, you're going to really, really struggle. So that's where it started, working for good people and the past success and tradition, and then just a great place to live. I'm, I come to Park City every couple of years. We come up here and snowboard and ski with my kids. We've loved it up here. Uh, you've seen Jonesboro. You've seen Logan. You know the difference between those two in terms of just a place to live. So a lot of things excited me about it. But at the heart of it as a coach, the ability that I think to win this league and be as good as anybody else in the league, to me, that was, all right, got to go do this. Cannot pass on this opportunity. Couldn't wait to get it. Blake Anderson joining us. He's a new football coach at Utah State. Uh, the win-loss record, you know, everybody's judged by wins and losses, and obviously this has been a horrible year for the Aggies. But when you watch video, how much talent is there? How much is this is a talent issue? How much was it just a talent issue with a couple of key position groups? How much of this was, uh, you know, there were a lot of distractions, and then that starts to tear down the effort and energy, and that's where the problem is? Uh, what's your assessment as you, as you watch some video? 
Well, I think there's a lot of factors involved. Obviously, it's hard to know exactly what, what kind of factor COVID played in all this. You know, we, we got just absolutely hammered there at Arkansas State after a big win over K-State over the next month. COVID just dissembled our entire football program, and, and we limped to the finish line. And we're seeing that more and more across the country, people getting here later, hit later here in the, in the year, games canceled and people not being able to play. I, I don't know exactly what factor that may have played. Obviously, uh, with, with Gary stepping away after week three, that, you know, the emotional aspect of that, what you see on film is you see spurts and, and signs of some dynamic guys. There's speed, uh, one of the best return guys in the country, uh, a wide out that could, you know, absolutely fly at a couple of positions, big built front on the old line, which is where it starts. If you don't have an old line, you're going to struggle. A young quarterback that's got arm talent, just, I think the system that we run will fit. Um, you know, I, you see signs that, that, yeah, it would not take a whole lot for us to kind of move this thing in the right direction and, and be good pretty quickly. Now, without going through spring ball, you know, I, I don't know that you absolutely know, but, but I think there's a lot of dynamics. That's a lot for a group. COVID, the situation with Gary, uh, you know, you, you don't know exactly about depth. Some people stepping away and, and opting out. It, it just, uh, it's hard to know exactly what the biggest factor was. And, you know, we're just going to kind of take the approach that, uh, you know, all that's kind of in the past, step forward day one on January 19th and start figuring this team out. But I do think there's good bones in the building to work on, and it starts up front on both sides. So one of the things that there's a line of thinking in that, with this, you know, Logan's a smaller town, obviously, and Utah is, is uh, we're sort of a small state, even, even though it's growing. And the idea line of thinking is get one of your own. And Gary Anderson, when he got there, he wasn't Utah State's own, but he clearly was the state of Utah's own. And he'd worked at two other institutions. And so he had all sorts of contacts. Matt Wells, when he was elevated after Gary left to go to Wisconsin, he was one of their own. He obviously played there, but he'd been there. So my point being, how are you going to be able to establish contacts with all these high school coaches to make sure you're getting your fair share of those 30, whatever it might be, Division One prospects that we have in the state. Well, several different ways. Number one, just reaching out to them and and, and just getting to know them. Uh, you know, I'm from Texas, but I've rec- I've coached in seven, eight different states now, and and we've been able to recruit in every one of those. I think part of it is just doing the work, getting on the phone, going by and seeing them, opening the doors where when COVID's not an issue, guys can come in and out anytime they want to. I mean, we will have an open door policy. We'll talk ball with any coach that wants to come in and talk ball. Uh, till you know, till till the middle of the night. I mean, that's just—it's going to be a very open door policy type approach. But then we're going to have guys on our staff too that are Utah State and Utah guys, and I haven't been able to announce them quite yet because some of the paperwork still processing. But you'll see three or four guys on the staff. Now, Chucky Keaton's already in the house, and everybody knows him. He's not from Utah, but he's he's used to Utah State hands down. But there will be several others that will be on the staff when the more able to uh, kind of announce them, and so there'll be there'll be a local flavor and a Utah State Utah flavor to our staff as well. And, and every hire has been made strategically with the areas that we recruit, with ties to the area with the, that we recruit, and then just to the region itself and the culture itself. And, and uh, you you got a Mormon influence, you've got a Polynesian influence, you've got Utah itself, you've got the California. Uh, West Coast flavor, we got to get into Texas. And as you see our staff roll out, there will be guys that have, have connections and relationships in all of those areas. 
So there are always, uh, every school has a couple of teams that they've got to beat, and Utah and Utah State used to play all the time, and now they don't. But Utah State still plays BYU. That's a big game. Boise State has uh, has gone, has been a problem for everybody in the state. The fact that BYU's beaten them the last two years is kind of a big deal. What do the Broncos have that the rest of the league doesn't have? What has to be done to run those guys down? Because if you run those guys down, whatever else happens, you must be in a good place. Yeah, if you beat those guys, you've done something well. Uh, obviously, Harson's doing a good job, and, and I think they really, really did a great job uh, about a five-year stretch. And, and actually, I remember playing them when I was on staff at the University of New Mexico. They were they were really starting to roll at that point. They you know they've gotten themselves a national name. They can kind of recruit uh, really anywhere in the country with, with what they did. I think the game that that just put them on the map, maybe in the biggest way, was the big win against OU with the with the uh, Statue of Liberty play, the whole works. I mean, it just seems like from that point on, they have been able to go in places and recruit against pretty much anybody. So we got our work cut out for us, but uh, the way you beat them is you, you, you just, honestly, you work your tail off in the offseason, you out-execute them. I mean, anybody can win on a Saturday. We're, we're not going to be afraid of anybody. I'm look forward to the opportunity to go head-to-head with them and, uh, and, and get that done. I mean, I don't know I don't know how long. I told guys, you know, we got to be patient with us as we build the roster, but but that's the that's the standard. We want to win it. And we know it's going to have to. We're going to have to beat those guys head to head to get it done. And to be honest with you, there's other teams in the league doing a great job too. I mean, you look at what San Jose State's done uh, this year, and, and to be able to go undefeated, uh, Fresno. We've seen them do the same thing. So at, at times, so we uh, we can't just be worried about Boise. But I do agree with you. That is, they kind of set the standard in the league. And if you want to be the king, you got to beat the king. Some of the greatest people you'll meet while you're here in this state, and you probably already met them along the way anyway, is Polynesians. I mean, they're great people as a whole, very, very loyal people. You know, Frank Miley has been up in Utah State for a good while. He's the center of the issue here. So the question for you is, I don't know if you have to do a, a makeup or what have you, but how are you going to be able to present yourself to be able to make sure that the Polynesians trust you? Because obviously that's a big recruiting base. Yeah, no, I agree. I've had a, I've had a ton of Polynesian guys play for me in the past, and their families is where it starts with them. They are so loyal to family, and they should be. But but really, just all I, all I know to do is be myself. Man, I, I love the Lord. I'm a Christian before I'm anything else. Family is huge to me. Never more important than it is right now. Having lost my wife and my father both uh, recently, and so just me and my kids. And so I get it. Uh, I you know had every intention, honestly, of of trying to retain Frank on staff before. This thing kind of got out of reach, and uh, you know we will we will definitely be respectful of what he's done here as a player and as a coach. I mean, nobody's going to get in here and beat him up. That's just not it. We're going to move forward and 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 really praise the strengths and traditions and past victories of this place. And he's a big big part of that. But you know, all I know to do is go into homes and be mean, tell them who I am and how I'm going to run a program and 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 earn their trust. You know, kind of one day at a time. I think we'll get there, and I, I don't expect it to happen overnight. But this isn't us versus Frank. I mean, that, that's a different situation, and, and those are other issues that have absolutely nothing to do with me and my staff and this locker room and our team moving forward. Uh, you know, those things can handle themselves independently. We're just going to be us, create an unbelievable culture and environment for our kids to play in. We're going to be open to the community, coaches in the state, and we're going to make we're going to make the fan base proud. And, and so, I, I really hope that one has nothing to do with the other as we move forward because we had nothing to do with the issues of the past. 
So you mentioned building a program. Obviously, uh, grad transfers became a big deal. Now it looks like it's opening up and everybody's predicting a free-for-all. How much are you into bringing in transfers? How much do you want to bring in 18-year-old freshmen and start from the ground up? What are your thoughts there? I think we need to do a little bit of both. Uh, there's some key positions that, that could use the influx of a leadership and veteran guy. If it's the right guy, the premium is going to be on culture. If they fit the vision and the culture, I, I don't want to go out and bring in just a great athlete that's that's you know a selfish me guy. I would only want to bring in veteran guys that I think would be great leaders and great additions to the locker room. Uh, we do want to balance that with some young talent that we can develop. Uh, and, and honestly, you know, ideally, you want to build guys five years at a time. But with the opportunity to bring in a few veterans and in a couple key positions. Uh, I, I think you'll see a mixture of both as we move forward. But we don't have a lot of spots to give. We're really, really limited. We've had to try to maneuver what they've done in the past and where we kind of want to head in the future. So uh, this particular class and how we recruit between now and August, you know, that we won't have a whole lot of action. It'll be We'll be building for next year's class more than anything because most of the recruiting numbers have already been exhausted, if that makes sense, with how they handled the recruiting numbers this last year. You talk about with your children, uh, I don't, maybe hopefully this isn't too personal, but how, how is your family handling it? Because, wow, you just look at the upheaval, which is including the move from, from Jonesboro to Logan. I mean, that alone is somewhat difficult for, for children. And then the, the, the passings of your wife and your father, well documented there. How's all that working for you? You know, it's been hard. It's been hard, but we've, we've luckily we've been together. Now, my kids are grown, so, uh, I mean, we've, we've been through a lot. They're all – the two oldest ones are in college there at ASU. One's about to finish. The other one is probably halfway done. They're both in love and, and probably not moving too far away from there, at least anytime soon, although I'm still trying to recruit my oldest one to come out here and help us. He's, he's been a uh, student assistant on our, on our football team there the last year after finishing playing uh, at Division Two ball down the road. My youngest one has already moved and is in Tulsa uh, doing school in Tulsa. So, you know, it's really more now just kind of about taking the next step. They really encouraged me to, to make this move. They, they felt like, you know, I wasn't progressing, that I was, I was struggling personally to move forward. Um, I'm dating somebody now, and she's got two little girls. I think probably going to be harder on her and them in terms of the move than it is mine because really my, my three are – are pretty mobile and, and pretty much self-sufficient, uh, uh, at least, uh, well, not not financially yet. I'm still bankrolling all three of those. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but just in terms of, you know, what they want to do and moving on with their life, they're kind of at that point. So it comes at a good time for us. Okay, so PK is the king of Jonesboro, and you can remember okay. that. But when you remember DJ, and, and many people tell you this, I'm all about the food, Coach. So there you go. your local tip. If you haven't been to Angie's yet, there's a long line of people in the program at Utah State. It'll take you down there and clean the sink. That's all I'm going to say. you got to go down there and clean the sink. Once you've done that, you know what we're talking about. That's the first step to being a local right there. Gotcha. I appreciate it. The radio guy, Scott Gerard, tipped me off to it. Now I know. I, I literally see bumper stickers about that in Salt Lake. Angie's, <laughs> clean the sink. It. I've, I've well, pulled we've done it to a, a show light. from there. We did. We came up and did a remote. A- cinnamon roll over here the other day that looked like about the size of a football so i I can't imagine what you can get if you actually go into play so it'll happen there you go all right well we appreciate a few minutes thanks for coming on coach and we look forward to talking to you in the future and and seeing what the aggies do appreciate you guys thanks
Blake Anderson, new Utah State football coach, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Can I tell my one, retell my one story? Well, I got several with Jonesboro. Uh, the, the, the golf? The, the golf story. Do you want to tell it? Uh, <laughs> I actually told it the other day, <laughs> and I was debating on whether I should bring it up at the end of the interview with him, and I decided I'd go with Angie's instead, and we'd save that for another time, because this is... An excellent story. <laughs> this is. I, somebody, I don't know, who did I tell them? Why did it come up? But I was telling them this story, and they were rolling. They were rolling. It's like, not, it was, and you know, it was something about him being hired, because I, I know I was on the phone when I was telling it, and I can't see the person's face, because obviously I was, I was on the phone. Um, you, you should tell it. <laughs> this, is, this is a heck of a round of golf. Yeah, I was there. In, I was there in the summer. And I went there a lot of different times of the year: Christmas, uh, spring, but mostly in the summer. My wife being a school teacher, and that's when we would have time, or she would have time off. And so we went uh, almost every year uh, there for to, because my wife was very close to her grandmother. And uh, as you know, and you remember, we were we were doing the show together when my when my wife's grandmother passed, and and I had to go and be a pallbearer, and I was honored to be one. She was a great, great lady, and. Uh, so I went there in the summer, and we took golf clubs because I was going down to Atlanta too. We were gonna go uh, visit a friend down in Atlanta. I was gonna play golf with him, so I had the golf clubs. So I went out one day to the local municipal there in Jonesboro, and they paired me up with two guys. And you know, it's blazing hot with the humidity. We don't have that at this side of the country, but back there they do, as you can imagine. And so I got my usual shorts and golf shirt, you know, traditional golf attire. They paired me up with two guys that uh, they had on, uh, they didn't have golf shoes, they had on what I would call sneakers, that some people say tennis shoes, and white socks, and they both had cut off uh, jean shorts and no shirt, both of them. And you got it, now wait, them, that's my favorite part right there. Yeah. I jump in there. Cut off shorts, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. no shirt. No shirt, no. Epic, you really got to savor that. Carry on. Yeah, yeah, and they're white skin uh, showing. And both of them in the cart, Per person each had a, a case of beer, both of them. And uh, so it was one of the more interesting rounds that I had ever had. And I made sure at all times I was 20 yards behind them because I did not know where the ball was going. And I'm not sure they knew where the ball was going, particularly as we got to the back nine. And it was blazing hot. I have no idea what I shot. I don't remember. But all these years later, I remember the cutoff jeans, no shirt, and the beer, and playing a round of golf in blazing humidity in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I thought I, I, I thought about telling him that story, too, but I thought it might be embarrassing. And so under the racial sensitivity, because that's somewhat of a stereotype, I thought it would be best not to bring that story up and let it slide. And I thought I would share it with you. I think uh, that we can bring it up with him down the lo- down the road. We we don't need to unload all the Jonesboro stories, uh, right particularly out of the game. after a win, <laughs> <laughs> a big win, and hopefully he gets it going on because we want them as we do with BYU and Utah. The more the merrier. The more winning that is done, the better it is for you, us. You know, I think one thing with fandom is. Um, Yes, it can lead to, you know, homerism and our team's going to be undefeated and all of that. But I think it's the classic get too high, get too low. When things get bad, if you're a fan, it's easy to really think they're horrific when they're really just poor. And I think that's what's happening with Utah State right now. I don't think it's horrific there in the long run. It's poor. I mean, you can't. The record is what it is. Right. The record is what it is. You know, his coaching record, if you look at it, 
I don't know that he's going to have great teams. But I think you can look at his record and say, he's going to have pretty good teams. Now, maybe he'll have great teams. You know, we got to see, put the staff together. He's got a different recruiting base to work with here. There's different challenges here than he had at Arkansas State. But he had a lot of eight-win seasons. He had a nine-win season there. Which is impressive. He was able to, um, you know, play up, right? Go play a Big 12 team. And I don't think the Kansas State's a great Big 12 team this year, but they beat them, you know? So, you know, there's some upside there. And I really think that with Utah State, if you take all the people aside and you just kind of look at the foundation, what you're building on, the um, conference situation is so much better here since they joined the Mountain West than it was for the previous 40 years, whether it was the Big West or Independence or the Sun Belt or whatever. And the facilities are way better. And those two things put you in a, in a much better place. I just, for the Aggie fans who think that this thing's going completely down the drain, no. It's down times, it's hard times, and it sucks when you're in it. But that doesn't mean that two seasons from now, this is what it's going to look like. You know, it could be well, very different. Two seasons ago, they were 11 and 2. So right, yeah, yes. So it can change quickly. Absolutely. And I, I think it's kind of the nature of the league, too. You know, certainly, San Jose State's gone through a two season swing. Yeah, we've seen that. I think there's several teams. I think the I think the Aggies can actually be a little more consistent than that up and down, but they've got to get there. I know we got to go to break. When we come back, there's a new kid in town. It's official. We'll do that next. Stay with us. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Tim McMahon of ESPN refuting some reports. Rudy had dug in his heels on the Supermax deal. Apparently that is not the case. I have gone to the highest source about it. Well, not the highest. In prayer? <laughs> Talked to the highest sources and they slammed the door on my face. And they said, <laughs> who is this? No, I, I have responsibly inquired and have not been told exactly what's going on there. Was that your really long way of saying that they didn't tell you anything? A lot of build up there. <laughs> no delivery. Can you imagine me having a pipeline to the man upstairs? Well, you'd oh. have much better sports opinions if it was true. <laughs> the Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. PK. Yeah. It's official. Yeah. Siege, man. Siege. Give them the news. You teased it. The Smith Entertainment Group. The sale is now official. And we were on a conference call with Ryan Smith earlier this week, and he said it would be done by the end of the week, most likely. And that is exactly what has happened. The NBA Board of Governors have voted uh, unanimously to approve the sale of the Jazz from the Millers to Ryan Smith and his wife, Ashley. So this includes the Jazz, Vivid Arena, the G League. Uh, the bees, and then there's a separate agreement uh, because I guess I assume it's FCC situations yeah. as far as purchasing the Zone Sports Network, and that'll follow in time. So these properties will comprise the newly formed Smith Entertainment Group with SAG or SEAG. I don't know how how they're going to call it. So there you go. As expected, I don't think there was ever any doubt that this was going to happen. Ryan Smith is the new owner of the Jazz. All right, so what changes now going forward? Probably in the short run, nothing, and in the long run, stuff we can't possibly anticipate now, would be my guess. Well, there would be change even if the Millers had kept it from this year to next year to the year after, so forth and so on. It's just the nature of the business. And obviously, Ryan Smith is going to come in and have his input. I mean, he owns the team, so he certainly should be able to do as he pleases. 
I love the fact that he is a fan. I mean, I'm really interested to see how that is going to play out. And, you know, when we were on that conference call with him the other day, uh, one of the things that stuck out to me, uh, what, I don't know what I don't know type of thing. And there's been some management changes already, and we were on one yesterday as it relates to us. And you're getting people that have expertise in one area. Well, it doesn't mean they have expertise in everything. And so they need to learn to see what's going on. And in and, and our new boss that we had yesterday, that's what he was saying as he was talking about, you know, the future and what we have. Um, I'm excited about it uh, to have this opportunity to go forward and to be a part of it and change Change is something that can be viewed as a time of nervousness, but the fact that Ryan Smith is every bit the Utah, can I say Utah man? I mean, I don't mean it as far as University uh, of Utah. The University of the, the Utah family with Ryan and Ryan Smith and his wife Ashley. They are every bit a Utah family as the Millers were and are. That gives me. Uh, as a fan of the Jazz wanting them to stay here and succeed, gives me some level of great comfort. I think if there's one thing in his bio that Jazz fans should hold on to, because I think local ownership matters. Uh, Not that you can't succeed without local ownership. You can, but it's much trickier. And, um, you know, I don't think you succeed with long-distance ownership. Uh, You know, people have to relocate and... You know, how does that go and all of that. But just the fact that in his resume includes junior jazz player, that should tell you a lot. You know, that underscores a lot of stuff. How about a guy who scalped tickets once upon a time for... <laughs> you can keep piling on, but junior jazz player tells me that elementary school, junior high, uh, you were in the Intermountain West. Because junior jazz, there are junior jazz programs outside the state of Utah. Um you know, you don't have to get very far across the state line, and you'll Idaho and Wyoming. You know, and you'll find jazz fans. Uh, but anytime your owner is a former junior jazz player, you know, you got to level a local buy-in. You got to like. Well, he's the first junior jazz player to own the senior <laughs> jazz, right? <laughs> By default, there'd be no way around that. Forty-two years old. I was still figuring out uh, how to get the mail at forty-two. Yeah, uh, the you know it'll be interesting to have him on and 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 talk to him if he's up for doing that kind of stuff. Uh, he's alluded to the fact that he's got a gazillion interview requests. Um, but I think that uh, the thing I've been told is uh, he views the jazz as largely a media company. You know, this is entertainment, and some entertainment happens in person. You know, you get 18,300 at, at games when we get back to normal. Um, but there are always more people than that watching on TV, listening on radio, consuming it digitally. For those of you who are going nuts over the streaming, uh, you know, you've cut the cord and, you know, cable and satellite are too expensive and all that. I think that that was about to change regardless of whether the team was sold or not. You know, they, there was a long-term broadcast deal. And the cable and satellite companies saw this coming and signed long-term deals to hold it off as long as they could, and they paid an enormous amount of money at the time the Jazz really needed uh, an enormous broadcast contract. So this is kind of the price that gets paid for that. But that deal's nearly up, and uh, I think it'll be changed going forward. I would, oh, yeah, yeah, I would yeah, be, well, I'd be yeah. really surprised if it wasn't. So I know for a lot of you this has been a nightmare, uh, but the nightmare is almost over. And I think in the next deal, uh, you know, how it'll change and how it'll be, I don't know that. That's all to be worked out. But uh, streaming's going to happen. Well, 
I heard him his own mouth say uh, we're a media company. And so, I mean, I, I've heard him. I've, I've had a few interactions with him, not many. We've had him on the show twice. I've talked to him off to the side. I, was, I talked to him extensively at the uh, Mark Pope press conference. He's uh, tight with, uh, with Mark. Uh, Travis Hansen. Uh, well, we had and, Travis on. Travis loves him. And I know Travis Hansen very, very well. And I picked Travis's brain big time on this. I picked Tom Homel's brain on him for that matter, because uh, Ryan Smith's a BYU guy, and those guys know him. And I think I, I don't, I don't think I'm out of line in sharing what Tom told me. And he said that you'll be surprised at how much Ryan Smith already knows about what you're doing. So that's the thing about it is he's a local guy. He's been here. So you take a guy like a Blake Anderson, Utah State, he's got to get assimilated real quick. Well, as far and just to the ins and outs of the state of Utah, Ryan Smith already has that in his back pocket. Now he has to get assimilated on how the NBA go, goes and all that stuff for sure. But as far as what this community and state is already about and what we do and what others do in our state, he already knows. He's been here literally forever. Now, there's someone who, or forever being his life of 42 years, someone who could live anywhere in the world. He obviously has the resources to go wherever he wants. There's no question about that. And he's chosen here, and he spoke the other day when he spoke to us. That was interesting. He, he spoke yeah. about how, uh, what was his brother and other folks, yeah. who when the pandemic hit, they left where they were to come here to the state of Utah because they knew this is where they needed to be in this situation in which the whole country and world is in. And so some of the stuff that he was saying, uh, you know, was fascinating in that way. And he already has uh, not just a leg up, he has a lot of information. And that's what Tom shared with me as far as you'd be surprised at how much he already knows. I think it was, I found it interesting. I really want to talk to him about this, that um, when he said that, we talked about, I remember he said London, and I was so busy being amazed at London that I think, I think he threw out other U.S. cities, and I think he threw out somewhere in Asia, but I, I got stuck on London. I don't know, New York, L.A., Singapore, I, I don't know. It, family scattered, though, multiple family members, and I didn't know how many of them had dual things going, you know, maybe two cities, one person had a, a foot in two cities, and then they were relocating to Utah, but... Um, there is, uh, within the NBA over the last five to ten years, there has been a, a new thought that is really getting embedded that players don't have to be in big markets. This is huge news if you root for the Jazz or the Blazers or the Nuggets or the Pacers or the Bucks, and maybe it's part of what's happening with Giannis. As, as the world goes global um, and as everyone gets just tightly interwoven and as technology changes, how does the NBA cash in on that? And how did the Jazz get at the forefront as an individual club and stay in front of other clubs marketing their players? And it'll still be different if you're in New York and L.A. and you win. You know, that, that will always be different. But the gap between those places and everywhere else uh, can shrink. And I think we've seen it in that, for, you know, the, the L.A. teams have been doing okay, but the New York teams in Chicago have been doing bad, poorly, very poorly. You know, and I think that players can stay put, but how do you cash in on that globally? And I just think in the line of work he's been in with the people he interacts with and the way his family's been spread out, 
sounds like they ought to be in a good place to figure that out and cash in on it. Nobody knows what the next 5, 10, and 15 years are going to bring for sure, but the closer you are to the cutting edge, the sooner you can figure it out and, and, and have an advantage over everybody else. Another thing that stuck out to me already right now, and as far as my mind, he's one of the, if not the most influential person we have in Utah, and he wants to forward not just the Jazz, but the state of Utah, because he said that Oracle moved from California, I think, down to Austin, Texas, Mm -hmm. and he said, did people from Utah reach out to present to them what we're about? now, man, he's got a platform unlike that he's ever had in terms of visibility. And so I think it goes beyond about just uh, the jazz. It goes for the state. That's what I said. We know of Larry Miller and Mrs. Miller's undenying undying love for the state of Utah. That's just a fact. We understand that. I think this man and his wife, they're going to match that. And because they're... 30, 40 years younger now, they're getting, it's, it's interesting, they're basically, it's basically like Larry and Gail Miller part two, in, in a That's sense. That's what Gail referred to. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really, it's, it's almost, I don't know what the word is, uh, coincidental, ironic, funny, ironic. whatever, but they're basically, we're, we're going back to the mid-80s, right, when the Millers bought the Jazz in terms of what they, uh, the Smiths now, what they want to accomplish, and I think it's just not just for the jazz, but for the state. I really believe he has this love. It's his, not my state, it's his state. And, I mean, I'm an adopted son. He's a native son. And he wants to build this up and make the state better. And he talks about inclusion and all those types of things. And uh, I'm real excited for and for his vision because, obviously, he is someone who's been extremely successful to be able to put himself in the position to buy the thing in the first place, right? You have to have all sorts of success. Well, what does it mean beyond? Now, he's the one who's done the five for the fight, and I think they've raised, what, $25, 26000000 million for that stuff, which can be nothing but good here. So it's a great time to uh, go forward here with this change and to see what happens and who he's going to bring in. Uh, as far as the ball club, and it boils down to wanting to win, well, you know, that's where I talk to – he plays basketball with, with folks in the morning. He's talked about that. I've talked to Travis Hansen about that. Now, he's not buying this team to not have it win, too. So, for you're a fan, that's what you care about at its core, and I think he's looking to accomplish that, too. You are – I would not label you a, an adopted son. I mean, it, that's accurate, but it's not precise. I think I go back to Rick Majerus with you, which is ironic in its own right when you think about it. Uh, but he had an expression <laughs> that always cracked. Didn't matter how he said it, but he always had a way of working it in. It's like I'm a citizen of the world, <laughs> and that was because because he was single and he didn't have any kids. He could go anywhere in the summer, and you never knew where he was going to pop up. Watching right. a Cubs day Cubs game one day, and a guy's <laughs> singing during the seventh inning stretch. Like Rick, what are you doing? And that's where I, when I'd ask him that, he'd go, I'm a citizen of the world. You never know. And that's you, because when you think about it, you claim five states as your own. Literally 10% of the country is your own turf. You lived in Jersey, but it was right across the river from New York. You claim that. You moved to Arizona. You worked in California for a decade. And now you're in Utah for, uh, what, 25, well, 25 plus years. So you claim all five of them. If anything happens in sports in one of those five, it's your turf. You're a citizen of the world. Rick and, and I think you also have to throw in confusion there because so often I'm in the state of confusion. Okay, so six out of 51.
All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time for this segment. When we come back, your feedback. We got people talking football. We got people talking basketball. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Eric Weddle right here on the Zone Sports Network. Did you have a chip on your shoulder because you felt like you were overlooked and nobody wanted you? I think everyone kind of does. When I was fortunate enough that Utah came back in the mix and in my senior year and Coach Witt went to bat for me and offered me, it was a dream come true. You know, you always in the back of your mind, you're confident and you feel that you're as good or better than some people that went to bigger schools. So the motivation was more so being the best that I could be and maximizing every day and to prove that I'm the player who I envisioned. Not so much that I was a one and a half star and I went to every camp and beat everybody. Like, at the end of the day, all that stuff is irrelevant. It's what you do with it. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. In an on-COVID year when no one's impressed with beating bad teams, we all know the rest. Cougar football's average at best. And UCF will put that to rest. Ba-da-bum. I got to tell you, they keep topping themselves. I'm surprised they can keep this streak going. Day after day. Yak, you just expect excellence now when you click on it, don't you? I do. Yeah. And they keep well, let me just add, he is wrong. Cougars will pass the test. <laughs> uh, you just want an excuse to sing. <laughs> no, they wanted me to have an excuse to sing. Okay. You want to come back on Monday? It's running out of time today. We can put the issue to rest once and for all. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Let's do that. That'd be good. Uh, one thing we did not talk about here, Taysom Hill is not getting the start against the Chiefs. It is broken this morning that, seen that. that it is going to be Drew Brees, which is literally 24 hours ago. The coach is saying, oh, we're not going to rush him back. Uh, we're going to make time. We want him ready for the playoffs. And the, Never mind, he's playing against the Chiefs. Well, if his doctors clear him, then yeah, get him back in. I agree. We don't report the truth, PK. What do we report? Yeah, what uh, the folks tell you. Exactly. Sometimes it's the truth. Yeah. And maybe yesterday that was the truth. And Drew Brees heard it and like, what? Got the doc. Doc, tell him I'm good to go. Well, in this situation, I think once the ha- once he has the medical clearance, he's the guy. He should be yeah. put back in. Yep. All right. Well, it's the Saints and the Chiefs, and that's the afternoon game in the NFL doubleheader on CBS this week uh, for the the whole country. I guess Arizona must be at home because they're not showing it in Arizona, and I think that's why. Although the Rams are home, and they're not they're showing the game in LA, so I don't know what's going on. But Arizona's I think the not Rams have the uh, Eagles at home. Yeah, right, soon not the Rams, the Cardinals. Okay. Uh, but anyways, well, that's the game we'll get here, and that's the game we'll get all over the U.S. It's a big deal. It's the Saints and the Chiefs. Get those elite quarterbacks together. All right, your feedback. Uh, we got people uh, tweeting at us here. Um, sports guy says, you guys are right. The youths need more good games on the schedule. This non-conference schedule doesn't do it. Makes it hard to make the tournament, even if you have a pretty good season. Well, that's where I think you're going to have to have the committee have an understanding of how non-conference schedules were blown up. So I wouldn't say that in this particular situation this year. I just wonder how much the Pac-12 is going to get a break in all of this. 
And, of course, the Utes have to help themselves out. They have to get up towards the top of the league to get a break. But how are that third and fourth team going to get treated? It's not just the Pac-12, though, because if the uh, West Coast only proves worthy of one team, and obviously that's been Gonzaga, then mm-hmm. it opens bids. And it's the same thing with the Mountain West. So it's not exclusively on the Pac-12. I just hope all those don't go to the ACC and the Big Ten and the SEC. Oh, they'll have a fair representation out west. I mean, they always do. Uh, Clint says so many pundits have claimed the future of the NBA is small ball shooters. Bull pucky. The Lakers are huge. Yeah, I think they want the 6'6 six, six to 6'9 six, guys who can really shoot it. I don't, I don't think a lot of small ball shooters. I mean, Clay Thompson's not a small guy. Guys. You've stood next to him, haven't you? No, he's like 6'7. Yeah. yeah. Well, his father's 6'11. So. Right. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I was going to say Michael Thompson. He's <laughs> the small guy in the family. The gene pool. But I think they want talented stuff. guys. So it, it, Donovan Mitchell's overcome any uh, inadequate size. And people are going to realize it's talent. Talent is what wins. Yeah, if you can get the beast, uh, the lock monster, or whatever you want to call LeBron James, who has guard-like skills and is just a Mack truck, sure, I understand that. But you want skilled guys. Skilled guys help you win. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Have a good weekend. Enjoy all the football. The Utes at 1130 tomorrow. And we'll be back next week. Scotty and Hands are up next. See you.